Hey there fellow geeks and nerds, Gareth here. Just a reminder before the show starts that we are accessible on all the usual social media haunts. Facebook, you can find us on facebook.com slash thegeeksjournal. Instagram, at thegeeksjournal. Twitter, at geeksjournaluk. The Geeks Journal is available on most podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you get the picture. So please, feel free to share and recommend to anyone you think might enjoy it as much as I hope you are too. If the moment should take your fancy, leave a little comment or review. Apparently it helps. I have no idea how, but apparently it does. Thanks for sticking with me through all the boring spiel. And now, on with the show. Greetings and salutations, fellow geeks and nerds. Welcome back to the Geeks Journal podcast. This episode, we're delving into the 2004 comedy Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. And to help me break this down, I am privileged as ever to be joined by members of the collective, Ollie Lee, and please welcome back to the show, Luke. Gentlemen, hello. 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 Now, listeners, in a nutshell, the movie is, oddly enough, about a man named Ron Burgundy played by Will Ferrell, who is San Diego's top-rated news anchor in a male-dominated broadcasting world of the 1970s. But that all changes for Ron and his Channel 4 news team when an ambitious Veronica Corningstone, played by Christina Applegate, is hired as a new anchor. Now, this movie was directed by Adam McKay. Actually, it was his first feature film credit from what I was looking up and was co-wrote with Will Ferrell. Adam McKay was also responsible for writing and directing Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, The Other Guys, Anchorman 2, plus many other things that don't actually star Will Ferrell. <laughs> he was also a former writer on SNL for years and uh, also wrote the screenplay for Ant-Man, which I completely forgot about. Hmm. And just as a little side note, Anchorman actually marks the second movie from 2004 that we have talked about on this show, the first being Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing. Cool, blimey. Was that the same year? That was the same year. Jesus Christ. Vintage I have year. Many things. Oh, yes. The list I have of movies for that year late, for later is quite impressive. <laughs> now, my exposure to this is probably, well, no, definitely in 2004 when it first hit cinemas. And Lee, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was with you. And Luke, I think you were with us as well. Yeah, Luke was there. Yeah, yeah. I remember Lee being there, so I was like... <laughs> yeah, there was a couple been. of other friends that we had that we hung out with at the time as well. And yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah this was this was a cinema trip for us all, wasn't it? It was fond memories, I think, for me. Absolutely, absolutely. I think like it's it's one for me that I haven't gone back to it probably as often as I used to, particularly over the last kind of like, you know, like nine, ten years. I don't think I've really watched it that much. Maybe three or four times in that space. But Lee, what about yourself? Where, like, where does this sit with you? I had fond memories of it again. Like you, I hadn't watched it. Yeah, Christ, I haven't watched it since uh, Kim and I have been together. So that's eleven years now. So yeah, prior to that, I'd watched it a fair bit. Like, I, I remember watching it in the cinema. I had the DVD watched that a fair few times over the course of like my late twenties. Um, mm. But yeah, since then I haven't, re- this is the first time I've watched it because we've never watched it together until 
we watched it for this. Ah, okay. Luke, what about yourself? <clears throat> um, yeah, again, I have fond memories of going to watch it at the cinema. Um, enjoyed it then. Again, bought the DVD. Still have the DVD. Um, Same. <laughs> had to dig it out, though. Um, again, <laughs> haven't seen it for a while. I can't remember when the last time I watched it. So it was, yeah, it was good to rewatch it. Um, and you'll find out what I think about it later. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Now, Ollie, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, not because that we chose not to invite you, but you. <laughs> Although that is possible. But it is slightly possible. But <laughs> like, you've never watched this film before, have you? Until this point. I've not watched it until 24 hours ago. Wow. <laughs> I yep. cannot wait to see. You can't hear my shocked face. <laughs> <laughs> so as a, as a, so as a, as a quick glimpse then, obviously we'll get into it a little bit more, but as a quick little sneak peek, how did this sit for you? What was your, where did it sit in your awareness? Like obviously like, like you like you knew of the film, oh. but... Yeah, so I knew of the film. I knew of Will Ferrell. I don't know what it was. Perhaps at the time, I just wasn't into that kind of comedy or wasn't into Will Ferrell. I I knew him from SNL and uh, what was the website? Is it Funny or Die? Yeah. He, he always like did... Pearl the Landlady and stuff like that. Oh, uh... the, Pearl the Landlady is one of the funniest things I've ever seen him do. Also done by Adam McKay, and that is his daughter playing Pearl. Is it? Yeah. So it did remind me of a scene within this film, which is one of the funniest things in the film. Possibly the only funny thing in the film. Whoa. That's there. Where, Hang on. That's, whoa, 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 whoa. So that's I don't where, appreciate your shade. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I stand with it so far. So perhaps we should just start... <laughs> Okay. Where, where's the where's the where's the kick from Zoom button? Wow. Eject. Button. I cannot wait yeah. to get into this. On that note, yeah, I think let's just get into it. So, okay. I, I honestly can't wait to see what you say about this sort of stuff. But like for me, like obviously the film opens with a you this really addresses what you're expecting out of this film right out of the gate and we're given this montage of Will Ferrell essentially improvising for the entire opening credits where you get a feel for how stupid Ron Burgundy actually is. When I started to realise, getting a little bit further on from the film's release, that I realised that that was actually majority of it improvised and just mucking around on set, it made me love it all the more. I always admire and enjoy footage like that where performers like this are just given a camera and say, right, for the next 10 minutes, just go with it and we'll see what works and we'll keep the funniest stuff. And it's just little things like it's like warm ups. Like what was the word that the the human torch was denied a bank loan. (laughs) And yeah, I love scotch, scotchy, scotch, scotch down. It goes down into my belly. (laughs) Threatens to punch the makeup lady. (laughs) Probably hasn't aged particularly well, but it was set in the seventies too. Yeah. I mean, Burgundy. Yes. Funny character, but just a complete moron. And you get given that impression like right out of the gate. He's very much an Alan Partridge-esque character in that he Mm. is inherently 
a bit of an asshole and a slightly unlikable, but you kind of you, you kind of root for him in a way. Like it's a it's an odd dynamic with those kind of characters. It's an odd little clockwork orange rise and fall that they do here because you don't get to really, you know, I I don't think you're supposed to like Burgundy to begin with because he is a complete dick, but that's also the period that they're set in as well. It's, it, it, it's, it's James Brown. This is a man's world, you know, and there's a line in my head that, that stands out that always rings in with this sort of thing. It is anchor man, not anchor lady, and that is a scientific fact. <laughs> Side note, and I'm going to throw this in now. This might be one of the most quotable movies of all time. I'm going to throw that out there. That was... So I got my first proper office job, what, 2006? And the team in that office loved it, and we would quote it day in, day out. Yeah. I want to be on you, scotch, scotch, <laughs> scotch, all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, I'm kind of a big deal, all that all that kind of stuff. It was So, yeah, for my first two years of, of working life... Like was very much Anchorman. We get introduced to the Channel 4 news team, which is Paul Rudd, Hollywood vampire Paul Rudd. <laughs> the man who never ages, <laughs> Dorian <Although>, Gray. <laughs> I did watch this and just go, oh, wait, I kind of see how Paul Rudd has aged a bit now. To be honest, Catherine Hahn looks older in this than she does now. Interesting. If you look at her in this, in Anchorman, you know, mm. the small parts that she has, she, I mean, it could be that, that you know, because they've dressed her in 70s style and she just inherently appears older. But then you look at her now, you know, nearly 20 years later, she looks younger, if anything. I think they've also made the, the women in the film, I think they've also made very weird choices of how they've actually made up their faces and stuff like that. Like Christina Applegate, for example. Period appropriate, though, isn't it, I guess? Yes, but maybe. that doesn't make it any better because, like, 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 I was distracted in a very negative way by Christina Applegate's eyebrows in this. Like, the way that they've been coloured, it's like they basically weren't there. And that, for a bit, that's all I could fixate on, was that... It's like she doesn't have eyebrows. This is so weird. Is it, did she do like a Chris Hemsworth in the first Thor where she died uh, blonde? Yes. <laughs> so we have Paul Rudd. We have uh, David, I always forget to... Kochner. Kochner? Yeah. Playing pl uh, playing the sports reporter, champ. And then you have who... I'm trying to remember if he was in Bruce Almighty first, but we have Steve Carell playing Brick Tamlin. Yeah, I think Who's, Bruce Almighty was before this. Yeah. Who is the, the weatherman. And, again, probably steals the film from quite a few people a lot of the time. Like, he's very effortless in, in his every scene he's delivery. In, he's, yeah, he yeah. takes it. So clever. And, yeah, you just, like, like you know, you get, you get this impression about, like, how they've been set in their ways. They're ruling the roost and things like this. And they have this big party after they've been named, like, number one in the ratings for, like, the third year in a row or something like that. And we see at this party, I didn't realise that it wasn't at Ron's house to begin with until, obviously, we see later when he goes back and he speaks to his roommate-slash-pet Baxter. But I was watching this party, and you obviously you see Burgundy saying, I have a special announcement, and cannonballs in. I remember watching this just going, that's a really long diving board for a really short swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's literally been designed... For cannonballing. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, why else? Why else do you need a springboard? Fair play. But then, of course, we start to see Christina Applegate makes her first appearance in the very far distance. And again, 
quotable as hell this movie when you've got Will Ferrell coming out with lines like by the beard of Zeus. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure because I remember I used to have like a Mr. T sound key ring and a Stewie key ring. I'm 99% sure they did one for Ron Burgundy as well. They probably did. Yeah, I, I had the Mr. T one. <laughs> really practical key ring, isn't it? One of those. Yeah, I know. Very sit, annoying. Sit on it. I pay the fool. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe what? But maybe you really do just pity the fool, and you need a way to to express that. Well, I had the Napoleon Dynamite one. He's like, Gina, come get some ham. Gosh, <laughs> I still have not seen Napoleon Dynamite. Well, what? why isn't that on this? Why is that not an episode of this? <laughs> if you want to, uh, Ross, what we're if you wanted to talk about a good film, that would have been a good one to choose. It just never grabbed me. Yeah. I, I I don't know what it was. Oh. Just just never grabbed me. Frick it. Freaking idiot. <laughs> Gosh. <But> I mean... <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anchorman. Don't you besmirch his name, Corbett. <laughs> well, do you know what? I think this is going to be a bit of a tricky one to actually narrow it down. I was thinking about this in terms of kind of like breaking it down kind of scene by scene. Realistically, what this film is, and it really didn't grab me until watching it this time around, is almost a series of sketches on Saturday Night Live put into a 90-minute movie. Narrative, yeah, definitely. So this is what I was exactly I was going to say. It's what it felt like. And then the, the bits in between felt a little bit forced or absolutely pointless. Well, they're only really there to move the plot like along. Mm. Yeah. So it's, to I, mo- it's to move you on to the next joke. Yeah, I was quite... It, it worked as individual skits, and I could mm. almost imagine that it was in a previous life that character was used for something else. He he was a parody on SNL. It's like Gareth said, though. It's like there was a lot of improv in this. And in actual fact, they managed to craft a second film out of all the unused footage of this. So, yeah, very much so. It is a case of they just let the cameras roll and let them improvise. And then they kind of pieced it together. I, think, I definitely noticed that this time around as well. There's very much a kind of feeling of like, OK, now we're onto this scene. And it, the previous scene was only really a vehicle to get you there. It's funny because there are there are older films that I think, and this is a bit of an odd statement to make, but it's almost as like like there are slightly older films that kind of executed that better. Like when you look at films like Airplane, The First Naked Gun, I don't really care about the others, but like The First Naked Gun, again, it's all random spoofy little skits that join onto each other and move past. Is that just an editing thing though? That, that helped them get there or maybe they pick, did pick ups and you know crafted the story better that way it's not really kind of like an editing thing because it's all things that kind of happen kind of like st- you know like where these are made in kind of like 70s and 80s where you're dealing with like a lot of static two shots a lot of the punchlines and stuff like that are happening at the same time and then they're moving on to the next scene I think one of the best ones of that I was going to say recently but it's not that recently it was like Wayne's World <laughs> 30 years old 30 year old film recently but- that's why I said not that recently, obviously. But that that film was a, was two characters that were on a late night TV program and had the feel very much like Ron Burgundy and his characters. But they just managed mm. to craft and script something, I think, vastly more superior as an overall film. There are some funny scenes in this film. And the funny, I didn't really laugh until Ron got back to his bachelor pad and had the conversation with Baxter. Because that's usually how you end your dates? That, well, that's how I talk to Dexter. 
Oh. <laughs> Dexter being your dog. Right? Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for, for those listening, you're unaware. I thought that was a genuinely funny scene because it felt very, very, good. very improvised. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, a lot must have gone into the dog control and commanding, but it was very funny because you could just see him riffing off what was going on. Oh, come on, Baxter, you know I can't see Spanish. Well, but then that's something that... <laughs> but that pays dividends later on in the film, though, when mm. he's like seducing Christina Applegate's character and she says something in Spanish and then Baxter responds because he understands. <laughs> Which, although, right, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. I don't understand where that came from when we know that she's kind of... Like she, she lived in Alabama and stuff like that. Let's be honest, famously not particularly um, <laughs> forgiving of many cultures, and she, she, she speaks fluent Spanish. Is it not a case of San Diego being sort of you know slightly further south and closer to the kind of Mexican border? So maybe Spanish is a. She's only just come to San Diego though. That's what I find interesting. I think it's probably just a bit simpler than that. I think it's probably just like a sexual thing and that's where it comes out i don't think she's like fluent well she might be fluent in spanish but you get there's nowhere else in the film where she speaks spanish and also it's just something to perplex ron burgundy which isn't particularly hard is it it? because it's like the when in rome thing which (laughs) that's so funny it's funny when she does it but when he does it like a couple of other times in the film it's just like Mm, okay it falls a bit flat but that's the point right you're meant yeah, to be I... like oh what an idiot like you know he doesn't get the when in rome i think the callbacks idiom. in these do pay off mm. i think it's it's the film itself i think can be it like it can be a very marmite thing in terms of delivery it either it either sticks the landing and it is funny or you're just kind of left a bit all right I don't think there's any kind of like middle of the road. I think like it's weirdly. I found some of the obviously. I know even it's, it's what eighteen years old now. And it, they they were looking back at the seventies and it's like yeah, you know, seventies was very misogynistic. But it almost felt like they they were poking fun at that with the humor. But it was almost yeah. sort of like oh, has this aged very well because it's not obvious that they're poking fun at it in some instances. Like when you were saying about the the anchor man, not anchor lady. Bit and a few of the, like, especially where like you know, uh, Champ Champ is like, you know, really being quite sexist and misogynistic. And I get that that is the kind of that's how the character's meant to be, and he's not meant to be likable. But it's quite an awkward watch until you sort of remember. Hang on, they're supposed to be poking fun at the seventies and the way people were. Because you think they're pushing the like, envelope a little bit too far. It it sort of almost felt like it was just an accurate portrayal rather than a, a poking fun sideways mm. sideways look. To me, I don't know, you know, because uh, okay. Kim looked at me, she's like, well, this, this yeah. time around. Um, it just felt like, but like now with Evan, it's like, is that a bit too much now? Well, that, that's that it. If then it was like, oh, but they're, then it's like, oh, but they portray in the 70s. So you got to think they're, this is like taking the mick of the 70s and what's going on and yeah. pushing it like they're obviously overblowing what was happening. Well, yeah, probably wasn't overblowing yeah. much, but they were taking, this is what how it was and you got to get that in your head and it just sometimes felt like, Ooh, really? But I think this is the, the trouble. And I think this is the trap that society falls into with a lot of things like this. If it was a 
drama or something like that that was done in a way that was marginalizing an issue or was poking fun at it when they should be trying to tackle something in a serious way. This is specifically designed as a parody. And even that, like for the majority of time, like with comedy, the point of comedy for millennia has been to push an envelope to the point of humour, satire, making political statements and stuff like that. And I think when you start breaking that down too much, it, it, it's, it, it's a very slippery slope. I think, well, no, that's that's exactly what they're going for, is they're going for that sideways glance. But I think it's because it's only more obvious when Christina Applegate's character, like, does it and, and looks at it and says something is when it, like, is, it's a bit more obvious that, yeah, they're taking the piss out of it. But when... Yeah. When it's like Champ's character, it's a little bit like it isn't immediately obvious. It's kind of it's almost like they sort of missed the mark, and it is just making a a more accurate portrayal rather than a sideways glance at it. Mm. I think that's possibly like the problem I had was that because I've watched it well yesterday, so I was watching it with fresh eyes and not with nostalgic eyes, where I could, you know. I could look back at the comedy and go, oh, yeah, I remember that was funny that time. It's still funny now. Whereas I'm looking at it with, I suppose, a new sensibility. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at it slightly differently. So, yes, when Champ is in the office and he starts howling and the other scene, which was a bit more uncomfortable, is where he goes and he doesn't quite do it, but he tries to touch her up at the desk in front of yeah, everyone. Yeah, that was a bit... Mm. Yeah, and I and I get that he is supposed to be the like the upper echelon of like machoism, shall we say? You know, and he is like the most vulgar out of the group. So yeah. he he is an an absolute parody of that character. And I and it's also tricky because it's it's a very American film in that it's based on an American news anchor, which I suppose we're not quite used to over here. You know. <laughs> What we're trying to say is that you know they're not as sort of celebrity esque, are they? Yeah. To us, but then I don't necessarily think they are in America. I think that's kind of part of the joke is that that you know they make him out to be like you know he's he's sort of seen as you know a local hero, local celebrity, when actually he's just a news anchor. But you can say the same because or let's let, let's be fair. Theatre Royal in Bath every year, Panto comes around. They always make a big deal about local celebrities being these things plastered over the posters and stuff like that, and they kind of what the, what they're highlighting and they and, and there's the voiceover at the start of the film which even says before kind of like global like network television and things like that like the local guy was king mm. like that was the person that was on camera every day in everyone's living rooms the face that was giving the news to them and bringing everything that was happening in the world to them just to go back to the voiceover, what is the purpose of the voiceover? Because it's so exposition, but it's so periodic. It's like at the start, and then Christine Applegate's character has a voiceover, and then you have the voiceover at the end, which says something like, "And this is where we find them today, where they replaced me." And it's like, are we supposed to know who said narrator is? There's a couple of, as I recall, there's an alternate ending where you see that the voiceover it just sort of doesn't fit because of like you know replaced me it's like a baby or something of no it's the i was going to talk about this later what okay. it is because this is actually the version that we saw in the cinema mm. i seem to remember that the dvd i got was different had a different ending yep so 
the version that we saw in the cinema and the alternate ending, which actually makes more sense, is that it is their son. That's it, yeah. Retelling their story. Not the news anchor that they succeeded. It's their son, because after the movie finishes, Veronica goes off to be the main breadwinner and the main anchor. Ron becomes a stay-at-home dad, and it's the child with a really deep, booming voice that's telling the story. Because when Veronica comes home, he looks at her or something and goes, Hey, Mom, can I watch SpongeBob? <laughs> and But they use that in the... I forget what the alternate Wake Up Ron movie Burgundy was. or something. Wake Up Ron Burgundy, yeah. Which I've never seen, actually. I never bothered. I have. It's quite fun. It's a bit daft, though. It's, and that's it's, really saying something well, for this. That, that is the epitome of they are trying to string together a bunch of unrelated scenes into a coherent plot, right? Yeah. This is literally all the unused footage. So it's quite funny. Like, obviously, these aren't the only names that are in this film. Will Ferrell, Christina Applegate, Paul Rudd and the likes. There are far more faces in this, as we see a little bit later when we see the first sort of like main cameo, which is Vince Vaughn, who is the <laughs> the lead anchor for Channel Nine or something like Channel that. Nine. Like the it's evening news. Channel Nine e- evening news. Evening team, news. Like this is like this is the Sharks and the Jets. Like yeah. literally, they've parodied West Side Story here, <laughs> right down to the music. I did- to the fact. Did to like the fact that, that Vince Vaughn is wearing a yellow jacket, which is like symbolizing like the one that Tony and Riff wear at the at the dance in West Side Story as well. It's all so well put <laughs> together. Sorry, Ollie, I cut you off. No, I, d- I did quite like those little uh, nods and those little inner parodies of a parody, and I think it pays off quite well later when you have the uh, the, the yeah. all the other <laughs> news. It's my favourite scene. <laughs> <laughs> and I I do agree. Next to the Baxter scene, I think that is one of the funniest scenes because it's so over the top. But we'll we'll yeah. get to that one. There's some great moments like this, and we see it with this. Uh, I do still laugh at the bit where like Champ is goading Wes Mantooth, who's the Vince Vaughn's character's name, and because it's nothing nasty, really. At all. He's just literally saying, so, I will take your mother, Dorothy Mantooth, for a lovely seafood dinner and then never call her yeah. again. And then he just <laughs> freaks out. <laughs> Dorothy's a saint. <laughs> Dorothy Mantooth is a saint. Do you understand me? Dorothy Mantooth is a saint. I do enjoy, I do enjoy the, the kind of standoffs they have with the, with the other news teams. So it's just very, very funny. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we can... We can jump around and talk about like let, let's let's get into the other news teams sections a minute but that's this is a scene where steve carell then steals it again because he just his absolute like idiocy and like his just perfect little one-liners that he comes out with that yeah make absolutely no sense and I'm, I, I guess that's the point are very very clever and so well timed his, his comic timing in it is is perfection Mm. And, and that's saying a lot. Very, I mean, he good. he is, yeah. Him and Paul Rudd are like I think are the are the two of the standout ones in the film for me. For me, uh, with Steve, I mean, some of the scenes were fine, but I I some I I do like him, but I this time round sometimes it, he annoyed me. The character, I don't know why. Really, he just, what, brick? Just, yeah, brick. I just found me. I think it was just because it was just too dumb. I just found it too annoying. <laughs> he's like the nicest guy out of yeah, the lot like even down is. to the fact about like when they're all trying to when they're all trying to get 
Veronica when they're all trying to sleep with her and he comes he ballses up the line and he goes like, look ah, at me pay me yeah. attention <laughs> oh yeah I mean so, I saying. would like to extend you the invitation to the pants party it's like, <laughs> what <laughs> but she, she she deals with it so nicely he's just mm-hmm. like, are you trying to say there's a party in your pants you go yes would you like to come no, Brick, no. And it's just the way he turns around and the guy as well. He goes, would you like to come to a party in my pants? He goes, no, Brick. <laughs> yeah, some scenes were funny and some things I just found just slightly annoying. <laughs> was it because, is it at the start, They he says that he will eventually be like classified as like, mentally retarded or something yes so yeah that that line did not age well i was was, surprised at that one and it's a bit like ooh, that's a bit harsh so is it at the start or is it the beginning it's right at the beginning when they're doing the introductions it's it's right at the beginning so everything that he kind of kind of does is is really like a bit like close to the bone because it's like i know they're taking the mick out of someone who's a bit daft but because they've used a certain terminology it, it does push it I a little bit think, too far i mean it's no worse you, than you anything do, that's on yeah. south park these days i know and you do Agreed. have to take it with a, a pinch of salt of course you do i get that I, I just think that's part of the joke is that you know it's it's a shocking thing to say it's like it's yeah that's that's meant to be the comedy but i think it just hasn't aged so much like when you're when you watch an episode of South Park and they throw that word around, it's not as it's still you know still not good, but it's it's funnier because of the context it's in. It's deliberately meant to be shocking, whereas there's not a great deal of sort of what I would call shock humor in this film, except for maybe Jack Black's cameo. But I think there's a level of expectation <laughs> with South Park as well that you that you know you if something like that comes about you barely bat an eyelid and those people that know South Park and are watching South Park would come to expect that sort of thing to come mm. out of it. If you go into this completely cold, if you're just thinking, so, oh, this looks like a, a fun little romp, then there are going to be some people whose backs it are going to get up. But I think that's virtue of age. I think at the time, I don't think anyone would have thought anything of it, but now in no. a, you know, looking at it through modern eyes, ooh, yeah, it's, yeah it's, maybe it's that this... line hasn't aged well. It's the same way that the term gay is used in this as well. You know, if you're a teenager mm. back in the noughties, sadly, it was just kind of like commonplace. So hearing it today is, is a little bit is a little bit jarring. But I think they're also in a place that where this is set in the 70s as well. And I'm not using that as an excuse. No, I, but I do. But let's I be frank say, here. Yeah. That, 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 like, that is something that was very prevalent for the period i think they, they i mean the, the point is they are they are using it to sort of take the mickey out of the 70s but i think it's it's a send-up nowadays if it was yeah if it was if it was done nowadays it would be more obviously a send-up whereas i think because it was done in two, early 2000s it may be it's not as obviously a send-up as it was meant to be perhaps i think they are still trying to send up i don't think they're you know i don't think it's an they're using it uh unironically i think i think that's but it just hasn't landed as well nowadays mm. as it did then. Perhaps it was more obvious back then. I'm not sure. It's, it's a hard one to guess. So I mean, I want to I want to move on a little bit just to something which, again, I think quite just another hilariously quotable line when when it comes to Paul Rudd, when it comes to Brian Fantana trying to put the moves on Veronica, he has to 
he breaks out the cologne. Time to musk up. Time to musk up. And that's when we get the, something which has actually been marketed as a genuine cologne. Although, <laughs> seriously. Really? I have, yes. That's amazing. Like, I've seen <laughs> bottles of Sex Panther be sold out there in the world. That's incredible. It's just hilarious. Like, the again, Will Ferrell, when, when he's on point, is money. But sometimes, you know, he makes a semi-pro. But stuff like that, I think, like, his delivery and work is really good. And I just like it when it's, it's just his facial expressions, the way he's titch, twitching. And just going, it's quite pungent. Stings <laughs> the nostrils. <laughs> I was just going to say, is Sex Panther the, um, the cologne from Still Panther? Because that would be hilarious if it was. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> What's his comeback line? He said, Brian, I'm going to be honest here. That smells like pure gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that immortal 60% of the time it works every time. It's, always... <laughs> that is a very good line, actually. I did chuckle at that. I was like, that, that makes no sense, but it's brilliant. That's, I mean, when we were watching it afterwards, Kim said to me, she said, oh, so many things that you guys say to each other now make a lot more sense. <laughs> like, there's so many quotes from this film, which evidently i throw around quite quite a lot and hadn't even noticed yeah, yeah you do i think claire would say for me it'd be hot fuzz <laughs> yeah it's very funny because obviously like we see ron takes veronica out right and it's, that's that's him being humble and and, and welcoming so he wants to be like two colleagues going out to dinner and that's where we get the immortal line as i mentioned when we uh, first revealed that it was going to be this film that we were going to be talking about, and he's trying to impress Veronica, and just go and say, "Discovered by the Germans in 1904, they named it San Diego. Loosely translated, is a whale's vagina." It's like, <laughs> that's not right, <laughs> because again, and again, it completely forget doesn't speak Spanish. So when yeah. she says, "Doesn't it mean Saint Diego?" You go, "No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't believe so. That doesn't sound right." I found it funny, and I know that this is a comedic device, but you get these moments when, obviously, you know, they try and paint Veronica as this very independent, very powerful woman trying to trying to make her way in this male-dominated world. Literally 24 hours after being on this date and sleeping with Ron, she gives it all as, like, I'm having very strong feelings for you, Mr. Burgundy. It's like, it's been 24 hours. Calm down. But perhaps that's a... A case of you know maybe there were a lot more scenes filmed that ended up not being used and so implied more of a passage of time potentially maybe one of the victims maybe, of the cutting yeah. floor maybe who knows but I mean it's 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 meant to be a fantastical fairy tale well, yes, style thing yeah, isn't it so I yeah. guess it it's hilarious when you think like again like Steve Carell just robbing it with such random lines but they're so well delivered when Ron's trying to explain what love is and Brick's looking around just going I love lamp. I love carpet. <laughs> yeah, I love carpet. I love lamp. He goes, do you really love the lamp? And it's though he just doesn't know how to explain it, but he really feels it. He goes, I love lamp. <laughs> I swear, that's, of course, Afternoon Delight. It's the first time I ever heard that song. And uh, as I recall, a camping trip in oh. about 2008 or something <laughs> with a bunch of, uh, what were they, like from Newcastle or something, or like Sunderland, and they were just playing that incessantly every day wasn't it every morning <laughs> every morning every yeah. morning every morning and the last morning i lost my rag 
And, you did. <laughs> and I was inside the tent and it went off, what, seven, seven in the morning, seven yeah. thirty in the morning. We'd, we'd, all, we'd been drinking the night before. And I was are. like, every morning, blah, 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 you're telling me to calm down. I get out of the tent and then you turn it off. <laughs> yes. I seven in the morning. Sorry? What? Seven in the morning? Seven, yeah, seven they, were, they were dickheads. Yeah. It was just yeah. like blaring what? loud all the time. The singing. fuck? Yeah. So. Lee, as you were alluding to, there's another cameo that is just about to come up, which is Mr. Jack Black. Vocals of Tenacious D, star of Jumanji, School of Rock, so many other things. Just an honest-to-God legend. Not in many films at this point in 2004. This was prior to School of Rock, wasn't it? Just. Just, yeah. I mean, like Tenacious D was quite present hmm. at this point. But this is where we see, I mean, it's so funny because like at the moment I'm seeing these posters around about like throwing rubbish out of your window, which are brand, which are marketed as don't be a tosser. Mm-hmm. And I saw that a couple of days ago for the first time. And then I watched this, which was quite amusing when the whole thing is predicated on the fact like Ron throws a burrito out of his car. That's almost, that's alluded to earlier in the film though, when they're, before they bump into the evening news team, they're all eating sandwiches or something and they all throw their litter i think it's a de- it's meant to be a deliberate joke but it's not as obvious as as it's meant it to was, be it was um ron and the team before they met um the evening news they were yeah. eating some foods and they walked along and then just just went they had a bite and they just threw it all on the floor yeah they literally all throw them on the floor yeah the scene is brief but hilarious i mean where, where the whole thing of like jack black's bike has been completely trashed because he He's had a spill. His bike's gone down. He's just shredded. His face is all bloody from from hitting the ground. And he turns around to him, and he says, "Like you, you, you've just destroyed the only thing I've ever loved. What do you love?" And he riffs off like Scotch, a good book, and my little buddy Baxter. And that's when he then it's the punt heard round the world as this dog is then kicked off the bridge. <laughs> I, I'm not one to condone violence against animals because it, it's abhorrent, but this scene, I distinctly remember being in the cinema and laughing for a good minute or two after this scene because yep. of how un- unexpected it was. I remember that it was for two reasons that we were doing this, because we were all laughing, but uh, Amy, who was with us, was not laughing and had her hand clasped over her mouth, gasping for about two minutes. Mm. She just could not get her head around the fact about what we had just witnessed. Never mind the fact that you could clearly tell it was a cuddly toy dog that got kicked off the bridge, but just that sheer situation. And it was, it's just a knee-jerk reaction laugh that just reverberates for a while. And it still kind of got me this time, actually. It's Mm. one of those things that's just like, it's so bizarrely timed, but it's landed so well, no pun intended, that it just kind of like, it still oddly works if i mean you're not expecting it even kim laughed she laughed quite a bit at that scene it's like yeah, yeah she's she's a bigger animal lover than i am and yeah i see i see a lot of ambiguity on ollie's face I, so i'm gonna I, go to him a second i, just was, in, I was shocked like, <laughs> like for, for one i was like oh it's jack black okay cool interesting cameo and <laughs> I, and i quite liked the way they were I kind of noticed that they were messing with the um, like the height difference quite a lot because Ron's not a whole heap taller than Jack Black, but from the the camera point of view of Ron, he's looking down at Jack, and Jack is looking up quite a bit. 
But when mm. they're kind of side by side, there's not a whole heap of difference. So I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. And then all I could think about was him stealing the scenes in High Fidelity, which was actually four years prior. <laughs> and, and, and then... God, yeah, that was 2000, wasn't it? I completely forgot yeah, about that. Because he absolutely, yeah, is the backbone of that film. He steals every scene he's in. And I think that was like the introduction to Jack Black for me. Mm. But yes, then he goes and picks up the dog and then punts it over the bridge. And I'm like, oh my God, oh shit. (laughs) There there was a snigger, but I was just like, oh, I was just like devastated. And then I was just like, oh no, it's okay. I think he comes back and you see the dog in a full cast. And I'm like, oh no, I think that's something about Mary. That's something about Mary. (laughs) I was just like, is the dog dead? What's going on? And that was it. It was just like, <laughs> that was it. Nothing else was said about it. <laughs> and then there is the hysteric. Actually, this is a very funny scene. The hysterical moment where he's in the telephone booth. <laughs> the glass case of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And he's talking to Paul Rudd. And I think and he's just like, I, I can't understand you. And then yeah. he tries reiterating it. And it's just this howl. And <laughs> it's the fact that like he, he, he stops and he says, wait, wait, hang on a minute. And then just howls and mutters something again. (laughs) This was actually the the first viewing of this. This was the first time that I had noticed that Brian has a Rubik's Cube of four squares on his desk. And it wasn't even done. He couldn't even do it. And to be fair, I probably couldn't either. So I mean, you wouldn't be able to, would you? Like, this is what was screwing with my head. Is that like that's not gonna, like I'm sure the physics of that meant that you would never complete it. It's simple, yeah. It's or it can only go a certain number of times, and then it's done. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. Like, I, when I was watching it, Re was watching it with me, and she she turned to me and she had a fair point. She said, "Oh, I missed a trick. Like every time the camera turned around, it should have been a different color on each side." <laughs> <laughs> so. During this, obviously, this is this is where things start to ramp up, right? Veronica has to do the news because Ron isn't there, and so she steps in, absolutely nails it, and Ron loses his mind. Is this is this prior to the big fight scene? I, yeah, is it really? It is. It is because during because after this, they break up because he thinks that she screwed him over. Yes. So he then starts working with the guys again and getting all chummy because he spent more time with her. And after they break up, they all get back together again. And their one mission is to get Veronica fired, get her gone off somewhere else. Yes, I remember now. Oh yes, there's, there's the telephone calls where it's like <laughs> it's your it's your doctor, you're you're Mike, pregnant. Mike <laughs> yeah, you need to leave town. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've got a promotion to Moscow. You got to tell it, <laughs> yeah. tell, pack your bags. Tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it buy a coat. Yeah, you, you better buy a coat. <laughs> See, it's looking back at it. It's actually funnier looking back at it. I'm finding and riffing with you guys. So I don't know what it was about the initial watch that it just didn't hit, but now it's like the comedic banter that's coming from it with the quotes. Like I kind of get it now. I think this is the point. I think this film isn't a, much like most comedy films, to be honest, like it's it's not the sort of one that you watch on your own. I think due to the fact about like how the film is set up and how outrageous and 
quirky it is, is that it's one to be enjoyed in a group. Exactly what I was going to say. This is a few beers and have a laugh at what's actually happening. And that's the same with most comedies. Like I can't think about like most comedies are like that that I sit down and watch and I like burst that like out loud laughing, full on out loud laughing when I'm watching something on my own. It just doesn't happen. I think like when you when you're in a group watching something like that, I think it hits a little differently because you're kind of like almost by osmosis picking up other things that the others would and like you that you said, might not watch on your own. It's it's like the reaction of other people. Is it somebody might not find it funny? They might find it quite shocking, and that's what makes it funnier to you. Yeah. It's, it's you've hit on a very good point there. It's like actually thinking about it. How often do I watch a comedy on my own and laugh out loud? It's like I tend to watch it with someone or with a group because it's yeah. yeah, it's that group experience. I think that makes it. And I think that's maybe what you missed out on, all because obviously we all saw it at the cinema together. So we've got that kind of shared experience. Whereas I guess, did you, I don't know if you watched this with your partner or not, but. No, Ems was, Ems was working and Dexter left the room like quite early on. <laughs> so um, yeah, I was just left on my own to watch it. Solitary viewing experience. Solitary, solitary <laughs> left viewing, the room yeah. when Baxter was kicked, kicked over the, uh, off the <laughs> Dexter was like, Ron's being so derogatory to that Spanish speaking dog. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> So we have this bit because after they try a few little bits and pieces to try and get rid of Veronica and nothing's working. So to cheer themselves up, they're going to go suit shopping, right? But idiots that they are, I don't know what makes them think. Again, granted, comedic device, I get that. But they've been friends with Brick for 12 years, right? Why are they taking directions from him (laughs) to a store that they know where it is? Why do they need the shortcut? So instead, they go through this like abandoned, like derelict industrial neighborhood. And that's when we full on start getting getting into the West Side story of it, because that's when Evening News turns up with Wes Mantooth and the rumble begins. Not just them, though, and that's what is just absolutely superb. What I didn't realize to begin with, like before the other news teams turn up for this I can't believe they got away with saying it. Bilingual bloodfest as, <laughs> as the Spanish news team turns up as well. But Will Ferrell pulls out a bedpost, doesn't he? Yeah. Out of his jacket randomly. And if you look very carefully, that weaponized bedpost has a shit ton of notches on it, which I thought was a really <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. I do enjoy that scene, just how it escalates. I, I remember the first time seeing that, you're like, oh, they're gonna have a, a fight. And then just more and more people just start turning up. It just gets to the point of ridiculousness. <laughs> and Brick's just got a grenade. Like, where yeah. <laughs> yeah, where did you get a hand grenade? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the way he's holding it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's not meant to. <laughs> uh. But Brian's got his gun as well. Like, everyone's got, like, hand-to-hand weapons. He goes, it's like, no, I'm going to go tooled up. And I'm gonna... He's got a revolver, hasn't <laughs> he? Yeah. I'm going to put a hole in someone. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's a scene full of cameos as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. as well as Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I'm, su- and, I'm and, surprised. Um, ben Stiller. Yeah, and uh, Tim Robbins. Yeah. And, and Luke, Luke Wilson. Yep, and Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson as well, yeah. Very, very funny scene. It is very funny, but you then have, as a point of comparison, you have the second movie which is just off the scale of madness. I've never seen Truly. it. Truly. 
so I once <laughs> I own it, but it's one of those things. It's like it's not really something that I go back to. Is it your Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> not as bad. No, Green Lantern is my Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I just keep that on the shelf as a cautionary tale. Now. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I might have taken it out. <laughs> Burnt it. Yeah. But the second film suffers from, like, really bad sequelitis, along the lines of, like, what a lot of comedy movies and a lot of TV shows do as well. They kind of work out what works, and then they dial it up to 11. And it's they're not parodying the period then or anything like that. They've kind of become a parody of themselves. Hmm. And some bits work, but more often than not, a lot of the stuff doesn't land. But without giving any spoilers, because I would say, find a clip and watch it, there is another rumble in Anchorman 2. And that is absurd. Truly, truly ridiculous. But this is <laughs> this is very understated comparatively, and that's really saying something, considering the fact that we see Luke Wilson have his arm sliced off... <laughs> By Tim Robbins using a machete, which is not a s sentence that I ever really thought I would utter. <laughs> it was funny because he loses both, but you can clearly tell his arms are just inside yeah, his yeah. shirt. Inside his suit. <laughs> and I like that Brick throws a trident. It's like, where did that even come from? Yeah. It's just like, and he's straight just up like, killed a guy. Yeah, he's just like, <laughs> skewers him. It's brilliant. <laughs> There's all sorts of random things. Like they've got like a gladiator style net. Yeah, it's like a man on that fire. Brian, <laughs> Brian gets dragged horses. away. Where a man is from? on fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the man on fire thing. I was random, and all I could think of was like the Pink Floyd album cover. Just it's like where I don't even know where that thought came from. But well, that's the joke that Steve Carell does, doesn't he? Because like you say, like like Ron turns around. And goes, I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Yeah. You should probably find a safe house. Well, that's it. He goes, I was, gonna, I was gonna talk to you about that brick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should probably lay low for a while. So, yeah, there were there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. <laughs> You're probably wanted for murder. <laughs> now, I had a little chuckle to myself about the thing, because obviously Catherine Hahn's character in this, lest we forget, gives Veronica the little bit of wisdom of like, I can tell you something which you can choose to use or not up to you where we where obviously we learn earlier on in the film that Ron Burgundy will say anything that is on that teleprompter. And again, just a very well-timed gag when there's a question mark on the teleprompter and his, <laughs> the inflection in his voice going, I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> But I watched this bit where Catherine Hahn is telling her about the teleprompter and I just went, son of a bitch, it really was Agatha all along. <laughs> <laughs> that scene with the teleprompter, again, it was, it just comes completely out of nowhere because you don't see it. You don't know what he's going to say. And it is the first, it is the first F-bomb that comes out where he it's says, go first, fuck yourself, San Diego. the first swear, isn't it, in the whole film? As I recall, I don't think there's anything... There's nothing overly offensive in the yeah. language throughout the yeah. film, but that's what makes, I suppose, it's what makes it more shocking. I guess because it's, yeah. it's done so mm. sincerely, as well. Yeah, it's done, <laughs> it's done with a kindness, if yeah. that can be done. <laughs> no, the, 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 yeah, the delivery is is like that of a newsreader. It's not a it's not an angry delivery at all, is it? No, <laughs> no, because it was such earnest. Mm. Take care of yourself, everyone. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just love Chris Parnell's delivery when he's upset. He's so upset with Ron. He said, you're my hero, Ron. Why did you say that? He's like, <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> would, it, would it help if I gave you money to stop crying, guy? Because <laughs> isn't this uh, the same scene as um, Seth Rogen's The Cameraman? Yeah, um, Seth Rogen is the cameraman prior. throughout. But I, that was when I think, noticed him. <laughs> yeah, but it suddenly made me think: Was this the first film that I saw Seth yeah, Rogen in? It would have been pretty sure, other than TV stuff where he'd done like um, Freaks and Geeks. I think this was his first film because it's, mm. it's prior to Superbad. It's prior to Forty Year Old Virgin. Forty Year Old Virgin. Was uh, he in Donnie Darko? I don't know ooh, why that's sticking in my mind. Might have been no. as a background character. Yeah. Was he? He's only an extra in that potentially. I don't think he has a speaking role. I could be wrong. As we go on, obviously, that like like one of the kind of like foreshadowed stories in this is that like obviously there's a there's a panda at the San Diego Zoo that mm. is pregnant and it's been like saying she could give birth any day now and it's up to like day fifty six or something like that. <laughs> like right right down to the fact you got Paul Rogers saying, Come out here, stupid panda <laughs> and the panda goes into labour, and so the, all the news crews and, and different channels are going over to the zoo to try and get the lead. And Veronica gets like full on like attempted murder by Tim Robbins, just dumps this woman in this bear pit. <laughs> and all they worry about is that they can't find Veronica. They just think she's gone off missing, just trying to find a lead or a good camera angle or something like that. And so the only thing they can do is get Ron back. And in the meantime, he's drinking and singing Afternoon Delight in a bar that's managed by Danny Trejo. I'd forgotten about that cameo. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Magnificent. That man is just gold in anything you put him in. Well, it comes up at the beginning of the film that he's in it. I'm like, where, where is he? And I, and does I he get credit co- at the start, does he? I think so. I'm sure it was. Machete don't do uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like it was just a really funny cameo for him. And again, like he's giving this really intelligible, like meaningful speech to Ron. And he just I'm sorry, did you say something? I don't speak Spanish. And you just feel <laughs> one of those again, it's just like it's so well timed, but so wrong to an extent. Mm. And it's just yeah, it's just But again, that one's a bit more See, I, I I love the kind of like uh, things like you know the especially well even the American Office as well to an extent, but the British Office and you know any sort of Gervais's comedy and and any of the sort of Steve Coogan Alan Partridge stuff. So that kind of stuff for me, the 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 joke there is on the person saying it rather than it's meant to be shot. You're meant to be laughing at them, not with them, kind of thing at that point. So I think for me that joke didn't really feel too offensive if that makes sense because it's no 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 because again it highlights exactly how stupid he Mm. actually is yeah Uh, no i agree so obviously like he said like he gets hired to do the news again so he can do this report and channel 4 can get this story on the panda thereafter but he notices veronica in this bear pit and so of course the only thing that he can think of to actually say anything is to jump in the pit um you forgot the the pre pre-assemble you know news team assemble (laughs) 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 with the conch show (laughs) no Hey, Ron, we're just here. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the first time that I actually realised they were actually there. They didn't just cut them in afterwards. No, they're in the background. You see them at the establishing shot. Yeah, I just never really noticed before. (laughs) I I hadn't realised. I noticed there were people there, but I hadn't tweeted it was them. 
<laughs> I love the scene prior, actually, where they where he bumps into him in the street and he's like all dishevelled and looking like a hobo. Dr- drinking milk, drinking yeah. milk. Yeah, milk, was, milk a bad... was a bad choice. <laughs> it's just like they, they they're like trying to talk to him, and just like it's <laughs> just like Brick just waving at him. What he says, <laughs> he like, doesn't get it. Brick, come give me a cuddle. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's like... going come come to me, my sweet Brick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get into the the bear fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous that bit. It's just... Even now, when I know what to expect, it's just a bit. It's like one. Okay, he foolishly jumped into a bear pit, and again, one of the most quotable lines that I even use to this day. Where it's like, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> but the guy's jumping after them, and he goes, "Let's go hunting, bear fight." And there's just so much like you've got, you've got poor Rudd getting into a fisticuffs with this bear and just getting knocked the fuck out. <laughs> You've got Brick riding a bear like a horse. Just... <laughs> Some actually quite good CG on that as well. Right? It you is know. very good. <laughs> it's just made like champs being like mauled by the bear. Like you just see like a dummy dressed as him like, being thrown around. <laughs> it just yeah, that look like, like there are bits that like I, I I do think actually do still quite work. It might not be the laugh out loud that it was like 15, 16 years ago, but I think there are some bits that still do quite work. And especially when, obviously, during the news team assemble bit, obviously the guys aren't the only ones that hear it, because as we hear, and much to Ollie and Dexter's relief, (laughs) Baxter has been swimming down a lake for the better part of a month. I figured he just drifted down river or something, yeah. Yeah, he's like moved to the Yukon or something and befriended wild animals. <laughs> well, befriended many bears, as we find out, because during this, Baxter has learned how to speak bear. I met one of your kind. And <laughs> during my travels. Tells, tells, the mother of the, tells the mother of the pack. I guess, yeah, pack of bears, yeah. I don't really know. That he, how he met one of their kind before and how... They became they, friends. They, they became friends. It's like, oh, Kato Joe's my cousin. <laughs> Be on with you, Baxter, friend of the bears. It's like, what? <laughs> See, that little conversation I thought was hilarious. I, I think it must be the absurdity of it that I yeah. find... Yes, so absolutely. ...so and so well-timed between them. Hmm. And it is like, it's like... <laughs> It's like the fight scenes, they're so over the top. It doesn't require dialogue. And it's just the physicality of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Abs- yeah. Absurdity's right. That's that's what makes it. <laughs> and that's what I thought quite quickly into the film. I was like, this film is just absurd. Mm. Yeah. And that's it. As, as it, again, sorry, Luke, as we are talking, I am appreciating that that is what makes it funny and daft. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly it's it. The, it's the absurdity. And yes, I did miss perhaps miss out on like the pack viewing of it i think other films like this in the future if we ever tackle them i think it'd be quite interesting to see it as a group and then record afterwards definitely i think that could be an interesting like an interesting parallel i'm just gonna jump back so i've asked jeeves uh, a group of bears is called a sleuth or a sloth oh interesting yeah a sleuth of bears a sleuth of bears or a sloth yeah i know the more you know (laughs) <laughs> I was about to say, so. 
<laughs> so after the guys and Veronica get away from the bear, obviously they get freed. Some someone takes throughout this entire period. No one's decided we must get a ladder and and, and help everyone yeah, out. And this fight goes on for like five minutes, <laughs> and everyone's just standing over the balcony watching this chaos ensue. It was the seventies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> People want to see a bear fight. Yeah, I mean, there's pretty betting going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, they get a ladder, they get everyone out, and the last person to come out is Ron. And this is when you see Wes Mantooth holding the ladder, shaking it as though he's going to push him back into the pit. He's saying about, I, I full-on hate you. God damn, do I respect you. Mm-hmm. And kisses him on the forehead. Now, there's a bit then, obviously, that Ron takes his hand. He goes, thank you, brother, which I always presume to be a figure of speech. I always presume that to be symbolic. Mm. It is not, or rather it was not intended to be. There is a deleted scene for this where we find out that Wes Mantooth is actually Ron Burgundy's biological brother. Yeah, that sucks. That's shit. (laughs) Glad they cut that out. Yeah, because there's a bit where instead of... Well, after he says, thank you, brother, Wes turns around and goes, oh, tell... Tell mom and pa that Wes Burgundy will be home for dinner or something like that, and that's when he walks off. Which is where the whole, which is which is where the whole redemption line comes in. Right. I was saying, is this where they're gonna be like uh, they both got mothers called Dorothy and they realise it's the same mum? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good point actually. If yeah, that, was, that doesn't. If that was on work, the cast, does, does he ever react at that point when when Champ saying all that stuff about taking her out to dinner and never calling her again? Does does Will Ferrell react? Unless the implication is supposed to be half-brothers because he would have recognised the name Dorothy and it wouldn't be Dorothy Mantooth like Champ says. Good point. But anyway, they took it, they took it out anyway because it just did not make sense. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> so then we see... This is when we start getting into the epilogue of it where we find how everyone is... Obviously, we touched on what happened with Veronica and Ron and their kids and stuff like that, which was the original ending that we got and not being taken over by the global network news or what have you. Champ gets done for sexual harassment by an American football player or something. Mm. Brian ends up on this... What is it? It's like it's like sort of like like Fantasy Island, Fire Island kind of reality TV yeah. show, isn't it? Love like, Island reality TV yeah, show, yeah. isn't it? But the one that I found it quite funny was because of course, keep in mind this was made in two thousand and four. That it says that Brick went on to be a top advisor in George W. Bush's administration, presidential yeah. administration. <laughs> you could easily translate that to the to the Trump administration these days, and it'd work perfectly. Well, what what's really funny is that. Steve Carell actually played uh, Donald Rumsfeld in Vice, which was the movie that they made about George Bush. Oh, really? Yeah, which was actually directed by Adam McKay as well. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a comedy, though, was right? That was a... Satire. Right. Gotcha. Not, not, not this sort of level. Is that the Sam Rockwell one? Yes. Oh, it was the Sam Rockwell and um, mm. Christian Bale one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. But yeah, and Steve Carell playing... Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, which I thought there's no way that Adam McKay didn't do that as some yeah, sort of deliberate. nod to the movie. There is no absolutely no way. <laughs> and go, going back to those outtakes, alternate takes, I just really enjoyed these. I thought they were really good fun. <laughs> what, the, the bit at the end where it's like you get a bit of Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah, I was like... <laughs> so, yeah, how bizarre was <laughs> that? Well, it's, the point, it's, 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 a, 
it's a like triple reference, isn't it? Because it's like you know that's what Smokey and the Bandit used to do at the end of their films was yeah. put the outtakes in, so they'll do it here and they'll yeah double layer the joke by putting an outtake of Smokey and the Bandit in, which I thought was it's quite not funny. even one of the better outtakes either. That's what makes me so angry to I this think day. That's, that's the third layer to it, isn't it? It's meant to be like a really shit outtake <laughs> <laughs> from a different film altogether. Oh, great grandmother's spatula or something like that. Mm. Like when he's reacting to the. There must have been, I mean, to get another film out of all the unused footage, there must have been hours and hours of improv like that. It must have been amazing on set. Absolutely. So (laughs) the the sequel, it's not that it was made like 10 years later. It's just literally the outtakes of the original film. Is that right? No, no, no. Two different things. Yeah, two different things. So you had the the Wake Up Ron Burgundy or whatever, which was... Essentially, Anchorman 1.5. It was the same movie with the same principle, Veronica Cornerstone coming in and shaking things up, but the content of things that was happening was far different. Right. And the end scenes were very different. It doesn't happen at the zoo. It happens at some weird science facility or something. I I, I can't quite remember. It may have been an observatory. I can't remember. Is it played off to be like a dream or something that he's had? about it all yeah something like that yeah it's 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 a bizarre one but then you have anchorman 2 which is uh set in the 70s and it's about how they want the the news network that ron and veronica are on they basically want veronica they don't want ron and he ends up on another network that's what harrison ford in it isn't it yes because he's the network exec that basically sacks ron Uh... because i think is that the one with when he starts just showing a car chase police car chase oh Yes, that is it. Yeah, that's all I can remember. That is it. It's, is supposed to be, it's supposed to be the first the first network, like the few, like the first news channel or whatever to show like a full on car chase, police <laughs> car chase. Yeah. That's all I can remember from it. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't even get that far in. I think I maybe watched about the first twenty minutes and was like, nah, not for me. <laughs> but in a nutshell, after like despite all the outtakes and being uh being sung off as it were by Burt Reynolds in Smokey and the Bandit, that is the film. <laughs> now, trivia for this was a little bit lacking, I found, but, you know, going through the usual kind of figures that I like to, uh, the movie had a budget of $26 million. Domestic in the United States was box office of $85,288,303. That's just in the States. Just a little bit of profit, then. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of profit. Internationally, it made just over $5 million. Really? Is that all? Apparently. Most of the box office was made in America. Huh. Okay. Well, when you think about the size of America and the number of theatres that are around in that. I guess. And I guess it wouldn't really land much in many places bar here in Australia, I guess, because it's very, not English humour, but you know what I mean? It's English English language humour that maybe doesn't translate very well. In terms of box office in 2004, I mean, we touched on this when we talked about Van Helsing, but Anchorman was 27th in the box office that year. It beat films like Garden State, Team America, The Punisher. Team America was the same year, holy shit. Saw, Chronicles of Riddick, which we also saw in the cinema. Did we? I actually watched that the other night. Mm. Oh, wait, no, we did, because I hadn't seen Pitch Black before I saw it. Neither had I. (laughs) I had. (laughs) Yeah, I'd seen Pitch Black at the cinema as well. Alien vs. Predator, Garfield, whoa, 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 Cheaper hang, by the whoa, Dozen. Hang on. A- AVP was the same year as this. Yep. Yep. Made $80 million that, y- 
that year. Good God, I thought it was I thought it was newer than that. Oh. Nope. And was beaten by movies like Mean Girls, Starsky and Hutch, Dodgeball. Big year for Vince Vaughn that year for movies, actually. And yeah. Ben Stiller. That's a, that's a funny film. Which? Dodgeball? Oh, yeah. Dodgeball, Dodgeball is, yeah. yeah. Starsky and Hutch is quite dip. funny. <laughs> Starsky and Hutch is good. Dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge. Yeah. Return of the King, of course, was 2004. Was it? I thought it was... Yep. Holy shit. Yeah. Born Supremacy, Day After Tomorrow, and the top five that year was The Incredibles, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Passion of the Christ, Spider-Man 2, and the number one movie that year was Shrek 2, which had grossed $441 million. Bloody hell. And some change, like 226247 Wow. Time is all fucking messed up here. So <laughs> Return of the King was that same year. <laughs> As Spider-Man 2, as Anchorman, as fucking... Dodgeball. Dodgeball. What the hell? What is time? I mean, there was also, like, um, like Hellboy was out that year as well, and um, Howl's Moving Castle, I think, was as well. Yeah, see, to me, they're all, like, consecutive years. They're like, they, were, they were never all in the same year. That was all, like, you know... That was 2001 to 2008 or something. <laughs> like, all those came out. <laughs> Not all in that one, one year. <laughs> Jesus. So, harking back to Van Helsing, where did that come in the list? Because <laughs> you didn't mention it. Now, just going to compare. Yeah, that's good. Yes, good one. Van Helsing was 16th. Okay. And that made $120,177,084. Van Helsing made more money than this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but what I think that would people. If I think that would appeal more worldwide than mm, as you said, this is, is kind of a niche. You you have to understand it or get that humour to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, the metrics for this. Granted, the metrics for this are a little bit flawed because I can't tell from this like how long they were in cinemas for. You know how far the spread was. Essentially, it's just down to domestic release. True. Did did this make more money on DVD sales, etc. After the fact. I think there was certainly definitely a, more of a cult following that came from it as mm. a result, for sure. But as we spoke about in like Van Helsing, it was kind of like the year or the, the period for like big effects heavy films. And that's that's kind of like what was eating up all the cinema. So you did have mm. like Spider-Man 2, you had Hellboy, um, what else was out? Blade Trinity, Thunderbird. Dawn of the Dead was released this year <laughs> Dawn as well. Of the Dead. Uh, ill-fated Catwoman and Ocean's 12. Yep. So, that was the same year as well. Fucking well, me. Yeah, because, I mean, you had you had <laughs> iRobot, Alien vs. Predator. You had another Resident Evil that Jesus year as well. Christ. So that was obviously, like, the flavour Stop it. Of the I'm month. having an existential crisis here. <laughs> that <laughs> things you're telling me came out of that same year. Lee, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> iRobot narrowly missed the top ten that year when it came out. I mean, that was a big slap in the face to Will Smith. Oh, to oh, oh. <laughs> I need to sing earlier, but yeah. <laughs> too soon? <laughs> just to, uh, just to, just to date that for everyone. Just to date that episode for everyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but just to say, I didn't see this at the cinema, but I did see... And probably was one of the only like handful of people that did saw Jersey Girl at the cinema by Kevin did I Smith. Watch that at the cinema? I'm trying to remember Aye. if I did or not. Me and I think I watched the cinema. Me and Matty went to a daytime no, showing to see it. You and, and I must have gone, Luke. I think I saw it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it would have been the time we were at college when we had our yeah. cinema passes, yeah. Yeah. So, weirdly enough, I mean, I think there are some some conflicting opinions about the film, but believe it or not, I have been able to find some five-star reviews of this movie. It's yours. <laughs> They're all mine. No. Toy Story 3. The first one simply had the title, It's Science. And it says, What's not to like? One of the greatest... Guaranteed to make you laugh 60% all of the time. I mean, they butchered about four different quotes in that, yeah. that one review. <laughs> well, well, to be fair, they'll get the right reaction because they'll turn around and go, that doesn't make sense. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> How could you have 60% of all the time? <laughs> Next one was, if you were a male under the age of 60, you were quoting this movie at least three times a day. Truth. The gold that they struck here will never be forgotten. And the laughs never stop. If this comedy isn't five stars, then what comedy could be? I mean, all right, guy, calm down. Yeah, like, there's, <laughs> there are plenty of fun, there are plenty of great comedies out there, like like the recent Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> Next one is great comedy, tons of quotable lines. Vince Vaughn's best role. Right, keep in mind what? this was written in 2019. <laughs> right, even if this was written the same year, I'm going to say right. You need to, first of all, sit down it's in a dark room, have a fucking word with yourself, then sit down, watch Dodgeball, go back and amend your review. You should be ashamed of yourself. Fucking hell. Where do you find these, man? I spent, look, I spend time to bring these for your entertainment. Uh, thank you. I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> The next one, my favourite one that I pulled out, which just says five stars, but it says, didn't like the film, quick dispatch. What? <laughs> <laughs> an Amazon review. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man had prime. Jesus Christ. <laughs> there, was some, uh, there was some one stars that struck out for me, which was um, the headline, wow, this was awful. And it just says, has to be the worst movie ever made. Now... I'm going to put this to Ollie on the basis of that because I know exactly what he thinks the worst film ever made is. So comparatively, what do you say to that, yeah, sir? I, I actually would not say it was a bad movie. What is the worst it, film ever made, in your opinion? Then? The Room. Well, that's, yeah, okay, that's given. I mean, there are there's probably a many number, but let's not get into it. Um, <laughs> but if you want to get into how I feel about it. I don't think it's a bad movie. I do think it's it's funny, it's well well acted. And and I love that every line is delivered with such deadpan expressions. Yeah. Like it's it's, yeah. it's serious. It's it's just that quite a lot of the jokes just didn't land for me. That was all. That's fair. And there were a couple which were very, very funny and I laughed out loud like the 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 telephone box and the Baxter scene Mm-mm. are absolute comedy gold. And there is no denying Will Ferrell is very, very good at this character. And he is at other characters. Like, he does steal, um, like, the film, oh, which is the one with Luke Wilson where they um, go back to college. Old school. Old school. Old school. He steals every scene in that film. Birth of Luke's nickname, that. Are you going to forget that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, Luke. Luke is well known for going streaking. 
So a couple of other one-star reviews I found. This one says, I thought this movie was awful. I'd heard lots of people say it was great. The reviews on here are mixed. One quarter of the way through the movie, I started watching it at one and a half times speed. <laughs> Halfway through, I turned it off. I joked around that on my next scuba diving trip, I would leave this movie at the bottom of the ocean and take pictures of it as I swam away. But I don't litter in the sea, so I sent it to my brother. He probably hates me for it. I still love Will Ferrell and will watch his other movies. Well, Will Ferrell thanks you, but that's just... bizarre. I love the fact that you watched it at like one and a half times the speed. But then they only got halfway through, so... Yeah. Yeah, not really Does sure. Does that cancel each other out? I don't know. Well, it means essentially they would have only watched it then. Uh, they would have watched for about 35 to 35 minutes, I guess. <laughs> See, I would be very surprised if he continued to watch other Will Ferrell films if he thought this was his worst. Hmm. Because this actually is one of his best. Unless he, pref unless he prefers Will Ferrell in films like Melinda and Melinda, then... And then I'm sorry, the man's a fool. I mean, what else was Will Ferrell in? Talladega Nights, eh? Uh, Step Talladega Step Nights Brothers. is really good. Step Brothers is alright for this comedy, and this is yeah. this is just so him. It's down. It's him to a T, isn't mm. it? So I'm. I don't understand his his anger with the role that he's doing. I cannot recommend the other guys enough. Oh, I've not watched that yet. Very, very funny. Very funny. Him and Mark Wahlberg together work very well. Mm. I'm just not a big fan of Mark Wahlberg, to be honest. He just gets on my tits. And the final review that I had uh, had the headline, Not Impressed. And said, I thought this was going to be a lot better than what I was shown for advertisements and was not impressed at all. I did not find it that funny. And actually, the new one they're advertising now looks better to me than this one. I have an update for you. It is not. I mean... Oh jeez, I lost all respect for that. I was about to make a joke that they were on the fence about how they felt about the film, and then they followed <laughs> out with that, with that turgid piece of shite. Madness, absolute madness. So, obviously, I want to get into recommendations, and I think this is going to be a bit of a mixed one. But I'm interested to hear what people think. I mean, like for me, it's a, it's an odd one. It really does feel like a bit of an anomaly. I think it could be a recommendation, but it's definitely a recommendation with conditions. Like there are criteria that need to be met in order for you to really enjoy it. This is what I was going to say. I said, if you're going to watch it, I think it'd be best seen as a group because it is only 19 minutes, 90 yeah. minutes long. You know, if you're around someone's house, you want something like easy to watch while you're having a drink so you can just have a laugh and riff on it this is the perfect film because you will just continue to quote at each other throughout the night and have a good time for doing 20 so. years but yeah and then for the next 20 <laughs> years yeah lee what 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 about yourself in terms of like like, like we've we've been given the the benefit of time with this movie obviously ollie's had a fresh watch of this in 20 in the last 24 hours but obviously this movie has been with us for quite a while so i mean where does this sit with you now is it something that you would recommend to people it's a hard one i mean i i i still enjoyed it i you know i loved revisiting it after all this time um i watched it with my wife and she was like yeah there were some funny bits but yeah it hasn't she doesn't have that kind of attachment to it, similar to yourself, Ollie. She doesn't have the attachment of it. She and maybe no nostalgia. Yeah, she didn't see it at the cinema, and she maybe watched it once on DVD with some friends, like after the fact. So for her, it was it had less of an impact. And so 
I'm sort of in, you know, if it was any one of us, it's like, ah, oh, should we watch Anchorman? Yeah. If we're in a group and we're at a, a house party, let's put it on. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. If I was to say to, if, if say, Ollie, we weren't doing this podcast and you came to me and said, I'm thinking of watching Anchorman, do you reckon I should? With the benefit of having rewatched it now, potentially not if you're going to watch it on your own. I wouldn't recommend it just because, like you say, it doesn't land as much if you're not in a group. And I suspect I'm probably stealing a lot of what you guys are going to say here because I think we all kind of feel the same. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those ones like I was talking about earlier. This is the type of film that if the comedy isn't executed perfectly, it's not going to land at all. You're not going to get like a little quirk here and there. It's either all in or it doesn't work. And I think for the most part, I think under the under the right circumstances, I think a lot of it does still work. But it's not a film that I sit and watch, not this time around anyway. Granted, it's been a number of years since I've watched it properly. But I don't think it's something that I, you know, you're not going to properly laugh out loud with it on your own. It's not that sort of entertainment. Luke, what about yourself? Last but not least. I think you guys have all nailed it, really. Yeah, the nostalgias loved it when it first came out, and that's what you remember. I haven't seen it for God knows how long, um, but this one, watched a few weeks ago, I was on my own. That's probably why I didn't really get into it as much. I didn't feel it. It didn't really make me laugh out loud. It was oh, middle of the... It was Friday. I was suffering from COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just watching this and, and it's probably that probably didn't help me either but i just yeah i didn't feel it it didn't make me laugh as much as i thought it would do like i said some of the characters annoyed me some of the bits like just found a bit annoying but yeah in a group setting with alcohol <laughs> yeah it's a good yeah. shout it's something it's, it's it's gonna get you to laugh you quote it it's funny as ollie said it's 90 minutes bit of fun but yeah i wouldn't I wouldn't specifically go to someone who has never seen it before going, yeah, I would re- recommend it as a good film, but in a party, in, in a group setting, you know, yeah, maybe, it may be worth it, a bit of a laugh, but <laughs> you've got, yeah, you've got to have that, either know about in the, in the first, uh, kind of what sort of the humour is going to be like, um, if you haven't got that nostalgia um, and like that, go and watch it, because if you don't like that, then you're just going to think the film's shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair, yeah. But if you wanted a film to say that that was will ferrell i would say this film was will ferrell mm. oh yeah my one and only note was <laughs> this is the will ferrell show um that was my note um <laughs> <laughs> but then it kind of was i suppose it was kind of a vessel for him wasn't it i mean i can't yeah really I think think. really i mean he was fairly well known in america like on snl and stuff wasn't he but i think it was what really catapulted him into the kind of spotlight for, yeah, around the world. Well, we like, knew him from old school from the year before. Oh, it was old school prior to this, was it? 2003. Uh, okay. Old school mistake. was prior to this. He was also in Starsky and Hutch prior to this. I thought you said that was the same year. Yeah, Mike came out early in the year. Oh, though. I see. Yeah, yeah, we made it. <laughs> he was in, he was. He had like a, a bit part in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as well, but I mean, that's oh, yeah. a minor role. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did. But I think that was when he was actually still doing SNL. He was actually with Saturday Night Live until 2002 was when he left. But yeah, there you go, listeners. If you're going to watch it, watch it safely with a friend. Don't do it unsupervised. Don't be that guy. Jim and Jack. (laughs) (laughs) So 
All that remains for me is just to think about what we will do next. I've been thinking a little bit about this, and I've been thinking that, you know, we've done some we've done some fantasy this year, we've done some comedy. Maybe we need to go back to, to brass tacks, go back to basics and get down to some good old-fashioned buddy movie, a road trip movie. And I was thinking about this, and I just suddenly thought that really we should revisit a movie which is about a mild-mannered chemist and an ex-convict who go on a road trip to San Francisco, who decide that are going to pay a little visit to a tourist attraction where many, many convicts have resided over the years. <laughs> He's punching the air in celebration. For the next episode, we will be watching the 1996 action movie, The Rock. I am making this year... The season of Cage. There, <laughs> there will be more to come. Incredible. It's one I've seen. It's I've not seen it. <laughs> Have you not? Oh, look. No, Good for a treat, mate. It's Michael, so is is it Michael it's Bay? Or Jerry Bruckheimer? It's a Jerry Bruckheimer, Bruckheimer production, but it is directed by Michael Bay. Oh. There you go. So you need to know, Luke. It's a Bay And film. is it on any UK streaming sites? It is on Disney+. Plus. It is on Amazon cool. Prime. So, listeners, there are plenty of options for you to view it before coming back to us. Sweet. I also have it on VHS if you need it. Oh, fuck off, hipster. Uh, have you got a VHS player? <laughs> that was a WH Smith's purchase. <laughs> Last week. I only watch it on VHS, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Fantastic. I'm looking forward not, to that one. I've not seen it in years. No, I haven't. I've, I've only ever seen it once. Uh, it was an airplane edit as well. Oh, I saw it on wow. a flight. Okay. So yeah, I, I got I got a tame version. I'll, you I'll, are in for a treat. I'll go into more specifics next time, but like, yeah. <laughs> On that bombshell, I think that's quite a nice note for us to duck out on. So there is very little for me to do now other than to say thank you to Ollie, Lee and Luke for taking the time out today to join me to talk about this movie. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And listeners, as always, thank you for taking the time out to join us and listen to this little show that we love to do. Please do come and stop by on our next episode where we'll be talking about the next Nicolas Cage movie in our little saga. As mentioned, it is available on Amazon Prime and Disney Plus at present. So do, if you haven't watched it yet, give it a look, refresh your viewing and come back and join us again to hopefully enjoy it along with us. Until next time, end of line. Go fuck yourself, San Diego.